This is Mike Dilk of Relax Back UK. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on the Relax Back UK show here on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. This week, I speak with dietitian Helen Bond. If we look after this gut um, community, our microbiome, then it might potentially look after our immune system. It might look after things like um, bowel conditions like um, irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease and even things like an obesity and also looking after our mood. So all good benefits. We learn what our gut can do for us, but also what we can do for it. Now, it's back to school for lots of children at roundabout this time. It's my children's first day uh, today. Teachers like to set the essay, what did you do during the school holidays? So I thought I'd tell you what we got up to. We've kayaked into a little cave and it's absolutely fantastic. And now we're just coming out. It's quite a narrow to get out. We went sea kayaking in South Devon with a company called Sea Kayak Devon. It was great fun and I really do recommend it. Then, as well as back to school, it's often back to work for us grown-ups as well and for many this might mean working at a desk so here's some advice about this you want to avoid is static sitting and static standing um, so the best thing to do is when you are standing is use an anti-fatigue mat if you can because or, or something that involves in move, foot movement there are various other iterations wobble board we get some advice on how to keep moving from Gavin Bradley of active working. Let's back UK. Run by my daddy. So the first topic today is guts and the microbiome with dietitian Helen Bond. But first of all, I just want to go slightly off topic a little bit. I'm reading a book which I'm thoroughly enjoying by Michael Palin about his travels in the Himalaya. This is a, from a few years ago, I think, actually. And he was traveling in India. And it's kind of most people who travel in India, I think, it's certainly my experience, sooner or later, you do end up talking about your guts. <laughs> and, and, and because quite often you get sick. I got sick when I traveled in India. And uh, he was looking at, he was traveling from Amritsar to Chandigarh. And he noticed that there were quite a few um, he called them behavioural behavioral improvement programmes from, from the government at that time. And he talks about one, and I just want to read it. This morning, I see that the government is tackling the vexed subject of night soil or open air defecation, which is such a feature of life here. A series of adverts in the morning papers appeals to people to stop easing themselves in public, public places, easing oneself is a new euphemism to me, but I rather like it and I will use it wherever possible. So maybe I'm going to take a page literally out of Michael Palin's book and say that the, the next subject is about guts and the microbiome and possibly easing oneself. And uh, I spoke with Helen Bond, dietitian, and I first asked her what a dietitian is and what do they do? Oh, a registered dietitian is a person who is trained to degree level to talk about the importance of nutrition and its relationship to health. Right. And that's important uh, to say you're a registered 
dietitian. It is. Um, I think, as opposed to a nutritionist, because I'm actually I'm a I'm a civil engineer, but I could call myself a nutritionist and get away with it, couldn't I? You could, but registered dietitian is a protected title, and you have to be a member of the British Dietetic Association to call yourself a registered dietitian. Good. All right. I think that's that's worth uh, saying. Right. For, so we're we're talking about guts, and not just guts, but microbiome. Um, so again, Helen, what is our microbiome? Well, gosh, who knew that talking about guts and our microbiome would be so popular, which it is at the moment. Um, I think anyone that talks about wanting to ease their gut symptom has actually heard of the term the gut microbiome and the importance of our gut bacteria. For, but for those that are not in the know, it is our internal gut bug community. So it's the trillions of microbes that live in our gut. So it's anything from fungi to bacteria to parasites and viruses that live in our gut and they have thousands of different functions. You know, they harvest energy from our food, they produce vitamins like things like biotin, which is a B vitamin, and also vitamin K. They produce hormones, including our happy hormone, and they help in keeping our gut healthy. Um, Scientists really now believe that if we look after our gut and it's gut bug community then it'll look after more than just our digestive discomfort which affects you know 40% of the UK population and there's potentially wide ranging health benefits we're learning more and more but the science is slowly starting to stack up that's showing if we look after this gut um, community our microbiome that that it might potentially look after our immune system it might look after things like um, bowel conditions like um, irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease and even things like an obesity and also looking after our mood so all good benefits right so the microbiome does a lot for us so it only seems fair to ask the question, what can we do for it? Well, we need to look after it and we need to treat it well and feed it with good wholesome food which will nourish all of our gut microbes from the inside and I think at this time of the year with the summer out there you think great we should be looking after and enjoying lots of wholesome foods and salads and grains and so forth but sadly often things go out of the window you know we go abroad it's quite stressful getting away and we also have like you know party we have lack of sleep we go to festivals what my children do Um, and often we suffer from like travel tummy bugs and things like that you go to festivals? Um, Not at my age, no. I don't think my children would like that, but a lot of people do. I think we should all go with our children to festivals. I think we should start. Anyway, this is nothing to do with microbiomes, but anyway. But it does take its toll. It does take its toll. You know, lack of sleep, stress, you know, even just to get on holiday before you can relax on holiday. Um, (laughs) And having a kind of, you know, lots of barbecues, which we all adore, but often they kind of tend to be low in fibre, quite highly processed foods you know things like burgers and sausages and everything and often they can contain things like additives and things like emulsifiers and even things like sweeteners in in drinks and things like that and they can all hit the gut microbiome quite hard making us potentially more susceptible to gut issues so we really need to treat our gut microbiome with care and nourish it and feed it with all the good things that will help it grow and you know thrive on the gut community there. So do we do 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 we really know then that this this kind of processed food and alcohol is bad for our microbiome? Is 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 that a scientific fact? Well, research is showing that 
if you have a poor diet, if your diet is not very diverse, it doesn't include very many plant foods, then your diversity of those gut microbes, and diversity is really important, all the different microbes that are living there, is much reduced. So we need to increase the diversity of those gut microbes. And having a well-balanced diet that includes a range of um, healthy foods from fruits and vegetables, whole grains, fiber-rich foods, um, they actually nurture the gut and the gut microbiome and actually feed it from the inside. So that's why it's important to actually have a wholesome diet. Okay. So based on that, is it, is it, um, does it follow on that vegetarians might have a healthier gut, a healthier microbiome? Well, if they're including lots of plant foods, we know plant foods are actually our gut's friend. Um, you know, um, fellow dietitians actually say that, you know, we should have about 30 different types of plant foods in our diet to kind of help increase the diversity of our gut. So when you think about vegetarian, yes, you don't have to become vegetarian, even vegan, which is the latest trend at the moment. But certainly meat should be less uh, as important in our diet. We should embrace those plant foods, um, embrace things like whole grains, you know, rich in fiber even nuts and pulses, um, legumes, nuts and seeds as well. These all help in terms of help in terms of increase the diversity of our gut microbes um, and are good for our overall health and well-being as well. Uh, well, absolutely. If, if, <laughs> if you don't feel like your gut is causing you trouble, you're just in a better mood, aren't you? At least I am. Well, that's it. But like I said, it's not always people that think that you have gut um, symptoms. You know, there's no universal definition of good gut health. But we know that poor gut health, often people do have symptoms, you know, things like constipation and diarrhea and bloating and distension. But just because you don't have those doesn't necessarily mean that your gut's in a healthy place. And I think really we should be looking at the foods that we're eating to help nurture our gut microbiome. Just because we can't see it, we can't see all the thousands of jobs it's doing there and actually how it affects right. us so how can joe public know so if i'm i feel fine you know yep. i'm not constantly running to the loo or i'm not constipated by definition then i would have thought i've got a healthy gut but you're saying that might not be the case how can i know well, like I said, over the last decade, we've learning more about the role that these gut microbes work in our body, and they have quite far-reaching potential health benefits. So yes, you might not have strictly gut symptoms like you've just mentioned, but you might have slightly, you might have put on weight, you might be slightly in low mood, you might have problems sleeping, and these could all be linked to our gut health and the diversity of our microbes in our gut so just because you don't have gut symptoms it doesn't mean that your gut um, community is actually very healthy and it really does need nurturing and like I said the science is in its early stages but we are learning more and more about the role of these microbes and how it affects our overall health and well-being okay what about say if I think all right I'm going to see if I can nudge my gut yeah. it, my gut community into being happy and I start eating a load of yogurt and stuff like this because so, you know in the media you hear yeah have have, have some yogurt because that's got lots of bacteria in it already and it'll nudge your gut into happiness 
Is that really true? <laughs> well, uh, yogurt is one of the old kind of uh, fermented foods are actually quite good in terms of they supply um, bacteria, um, um, strains of bacteria like bifidobacterium. So yogurt is one of the old traditional fermented food. Now things like kefir, kombucha, all of the kind of new strains of kind of um, fermented foods are coming out. Even things like sauerkraut, which is the German cabbage, and kimchi, which is the Korean cabbage. These are all types of um, foods which are beneficial for our gut. They do supply probiotics. Not the biggest dose, but they they supply lots of other things that are beneficial in terms of our diet as well. So they will help nurture your gut. But diversity is key with regards to diet. I've already mentioned in terms of the variety of different plant foods out there um, and diversifying your diet and make sure it is wholesome. But encouraging you to get out of a rut. Us Brits like quite boring traditional foods day in, day out. But diversify your, your diet and make sure you're including new foods in there because your gut microbes will definitely thank you for that. Okay. And are there any particular foods that you might suggest people to gravitate towards? You, you, you've suggested lots of different sorts, but as far as being probiotics, that's another word we've is kind of mentioned a lot we haven't spoken about yet. It is. What, what, actually, what is that? Well, what is we'll come back to that. First of all, I think it's important to say there's no um, superfood for gut health and there's no foods that are directly bad for gut health. It's a balance of your overall diet. So the more whole foods, nutritious foods that you're in and the more va- wide-ranging foods that you can have, that is your best advantage in terms of making sure your, your, your microbes are quite diverse and healthy in your gut. But coming back to your earlier question with regards to probiotics, because it is a term that people banter about and you think well what is it um people do refer them to as the gut uh, you know the good guys they're they're gut friendly bacteria um so they add healthy bacteria into our gut um you know and they have second you know the popularity of probiotics has increased significantly certainly over the last few years but i think it's also important to say we're still learning about in terms of the research about probiotics and they are not all created equally um the evidence shows that different strains of probiotics can have different different effects on our gut Um, and it's the spectrum of microbes that is also important so when you're looking at having a probiotic to choose I would always say check with your doctor before you're having it especially if you're pregnant or or you're breastfeeding and also if you have a weakened immune system and look at the different types of probiotics out there choose one with a higher dose and also multi-strain as well to ensure that it gets through the harsh environment of the stomach. Uh, a multi-strain, okay. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, it's not just got one single strain. So multi-strain, often things that are out there, the probiotics that have multi-strains have different varieties of bacteria like the bifidobacterium, the lactobacillus bacteria, which are already colonised within our gut. But if you have multi-strains, we don't know which particular strains have benefits within our body at the moment. So the more strains that you can have and the higher the dosage of those, the more likely they will get through, like I said, the harsh environment of the stomach and will reach your gut intact where they can help in terms of colonising the bacteria in there okay all right so there's some good advice there if people want to take this a little bit further Mm -hmm. what resources might you suggest for some you know good serious honest advice on this stuff well, I think always is the question for tailored advice, you should always go to your doctor. If you're suffering from, um, you know, bloating, distension, if you're passing blood or if you're losing weight or you've had altered bowel habits for the last, you know, six weeks, always check it out of your doctor for tailored advice. They can do blood tests. They can even send you for a stool sample to rule out any nasties. So that is the first port of call. Then also have a look at the NHS Choices website. It's got lots of information if you 
you're suffering from um, gastrointestinal discomfort. Um, and check out as a dietitian, you know, the British Dietetic Association website, which also has lots of facts out there for whether you're interested in probiotics, whether you're interested in fibre and increasing your fibre, increasing your fruits and vegetables. You know, we should all be increasing our fruits and vegetables and, and also carbohydrates. Look out there um, and get some inf- information that's from a trusted source. Excellent. All right, Helen, look, very useful. Thank you very much indeed uh, for chatting. Lovely to speak to you. That's back UK. run by my daddy. I really want to tell you about my holiday sea kayaking experience. And also to make it relevant to muscular skeletal health, I pass on what our guide told us about paddling to make it a little bit easier. So in a kayak, that's a double bladed paddle as opposed to a single blade for a canoe. And actually in the recordings that come, you'll hear me being berated by the rest of my family for mixing the, the two up. We went in a, in, a, in a kayak, which is something you sit in and you've got a double bladed paddle. So you put the paddle in one side, take it out and then put it in the other side. So our guide said, when the blade's in the water, think about pushing with your opposite arm as well as pull us, pulling with your arm closest to the blade in the water. And also, you can engage your core and use your core muscles for some extra power. Although I have to say, the guide wasn't really too worried about our uh, the way we paddled. He just wanted us to have a, have a fun time, and, and we certainly we certainly did. They, they, the guide took us to some great places. Uh, we went into a sea cave. We went to some lovely beaches that you could only get to from the sea. In fact, we camped. The night we camped was on a beach that you could only get at from the sea. It was very difficult to get at uh, from the land side. Um, we did it with Sea Kayak Devon from Dartmouth, although I believe other suppliers are certainly available. So I'm going to just play you some of the recordings that I made during our adventure. Right, we've just spent the last hour packing a whole load of stuff for an overnight stay into two double canoes because we're in Dartmouth and we are going sea kayaking. And it was a bit of a struggle because although there's a lot of stuff you can get in these kayaks, we've brought loads of stuff and the people who are organising it have brought loads of food. So I think we're going to be well catered for. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to say much when we're actually going along because um, it's kind of wet and I don't want to get my my phone wet um, but I'm going to keep you updated as we go along okay I'm just going to have a few words from the family before we get no, going no. shut up <laughs> let's get on the water right we've just paddled up the the dart estuary and it was really really smooth came out into the sea I'm making a podcast I've been looked at by my fellow paddlers like I'm, I'm a fruitcake <laughs> and uh, we've just come kind of into the sea and it's still really flat actually it's lovely and we're looking at a cave we might be about to paddle through a cave i'll keep you posted right we've canoed into a little cave and we (laughs) it's so we've kayaked into a little cave and it's absolutely fantastic and now we're just coming out it's kind of narrow to get out but we're going to get out i have to put the phone down so we can get out but this is this is really exciting so we've finished kayaking for the day and we did about 13 kilometers and we've just come back to our beach and Zoram's very embarrassed that I'm talking into my phone and it's just us on this lovely little beach 
So that's two families of four and two instructors. We set up tents, tiny little tents, and we had to get everything out of the little storage areas on the kayaks. And it was quite an effort putting the sleeping bags and stuffing the mattresses and everything in. So it was quite an effort getting them out. But anyway, we've managed that and it's started to rain a little bit. But in the last bit, we saw a seal. A seal bobbed up and came to say hello, which was really nice. Um, I'm hoping this rain's gonna stop because this is gonna be an absolutely lovely spot just to have dinner and just a nice relaxing evening. Um, although having said that, it's just started to rain a bit harder. All right, I'll tell you how it goes a bit later. I'm glad to be able to tell you that yes, the rain did stop. It ended up being a lovely campsite. We had a campfire and a barbecue. We roasted marshmallows and all that sort of thing. And the next day we kayaked a little bit more and made our way back up the dark estuary and finished up after really what was a, a, a real fun couple of days. So shortly we're gonna hear from Gavin Bradley about keeping moving. Now we're back at work, back in the office. Next guest is Gavin Bradley of Active Working and he talks about how to keep moving when you're in the office and also why it's a good idea to keep moving when you're in the office. And I started off by asking him why he first set up the company Active Working. Hi Mike, good morning. Um, well, it's, it's five years ago now um, when we first set up uh, Active Working as a community interest company and basically to draw attention uh, to the issues around prolonged and sedentary uh, working. So under the Active Working Community Interest Company, we run the Get Britain Standing campaign, we run the Active Working Summit, which is for thought leaders, and it's a global event to showcase uh, research and just basic uh, experiences around trying to change sedentary environments into more active environments. And then finally, we run the On Your Feet Day, which is an annual day at the end of February for everyone anywhere to get on your feet um, in a fun way to avoid sitting and standing as, as much as possible. Okay so a part of all, all this is getting to people getting people to stand up in the office so traditionally people sit down at their desk in the office coming in now and getting more and more popular I think probably are sit stand desks they're certainly popular in other countries but are these things getting popular in the UK? They are, from a very small base. Uh, I think when we started the campaign five years ago, certainly would have been less than 1% of office workers would have been, had access to a, a sit-stand desk. That's probably around four, maybe 5% now, five years later. So it is growing rapidly, but it's still nowhere near as high as it could or should be. In Denmark, it's over 90%. Over 90% of office workers have a sit-stand desk. And there, it's actually the law. If your employer requires you to sit for more than two hours a day, uh, you must be provided with a sit-stand desk. You cannot be expected to sit for prolonged uh, periods at work in Denmark. Okay. And a sit so we should get right back to basics here. A sit-stand desk is uh, something that enables you to sit and work on your computer or on your phone or whatever it may be, but also stand doing exactly the same thing. Correct. And there's various iterations. They come in all shapes and sizes. So it um, could actually be a box, a box on right, your regular absolutely. desk. 
if you're going to start somewhere, you know, make it up DIY yourself. We, um, it's important that you take every opportunity to do what you can with whatever budget and whatever environment you are. But um, obviously, standing at a box, you need to make sure that your wrists are at the same level or slightly below your elbows. So that's the basic ergonomic requirement, that your wrists, wrists are not more than an inch below your elbows and certainly not above your elbows. Right. And so, of course, you, you can get these lovely electric desks. In fact, I'm at one now. Let me, there you go. I don't know if you can hear that. It's going up and down. I, yeah. lo I love them. So you can get these electric desks where at the touch of the button, you can be sitting or standing, which is probably a bit more efficient than a cardboard box. Correct. I think that's where we will all end up, Mike. But obviously, it's a huge investment. So there are various solutions in between. Um, but in Denmark, for example, that's what everyone pretty much has is an electric desk. Yeah. And, and by the way, these things are coming down rapidly in price. So yeah. since we started the campaign, the average price is around £1,000. You can now get electric desks for, well, you know, around 500 or less even. Yeah. So, so it's not that much money in the scheme of things. Well, for a large employer who's, who's looking at the wellness side and productivity side of their, of their employee, employee, employee base, it's actually a very low cost in terms of the benefits it actually delivers. Yeah. So well, these things have been used in other, other countries, and particularly Nordic countries, you, you suggested. Why do you think we're just a bit slow on the uptake in the UK? Very good question. I think and the Nordic companies got there first uh, for different reasons. They didn't actually know about the broader health issues concerning prolonged and suddenly working. They actually got there on a because of bad posture in the 90s and it became much more standing is better for your posture. That was the, um, the make basic proviso. Um, it's only in the last 10 years uh, that all the health risks associated with long sit sitting, which relate to uh, mental health, cancers, heart disease, uh, you know, and obviously back hair, uh, um, chronic back pain. It's only that now that this, these issues, and, and indeed, length of life is that these issues are now being properly researched and then getting the correct investment but these things take years research programs don't happen you know over over months they happen over years series of years even decades for the people who can measure these things properly right. so so i think the question was, was always here was it five years ago certainly and it's less where's the evidence where's the evidence we think you could be right but where's the evidence and i think now the evidence base is growing people feel more comfortable talking about issues around sedentary working. Five years ago, they didn't. Uh, Denmark, Scandinavia got there for posture reasons 20 years ago. Okay. All right. So the, we like evidence, I suppose. Maybe that would be a, one. Uh, yeah. One yeah. We like evidence, but it's the same in the US, which is slightly ahead of us. Same in Canada, slightly ahead of us. Australia also slightly ahead of us. They're all about two years ahead of us because they kind of, they've invested a lot in the evidence base too. So, right. and Germany as well. But you look at countries, there are countries which are well behind us, you know, France, uh, the southern Italy, Spain, and it's, it's we're, we're five years ahead of those countries, if not more. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also, a, I guess it's um, what, you know, like all changes, it, incurs, it requires also behavior change. And behavior change is, is something that takes years. If, if, uh, it's a difficult thing to initiate. That's extremely difficult. Yes, yeah, certainly. You mentioned some health benefits, um, but what about keeping us all a bit more efficient when we're actually at our desk? I mean, I, I, I use a sit-stand desk and I, I, I 
am sure that I'm more productive when I'm using it. Is, is there any, we were talking about evidence, any evidence that it, you know, helps yeah, to keep us a bit more efficient, stops yeah, we, the doze after lunch, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of, couple of headlines. Yeah, the, the evidence is really depends on what function you're doing, but cognitive functions uh, where you have to, you know, definitely there's evidence that's come out of Texas, University of Texas, which talks about between 20 to 30% improvement in cognitive functions. But it really depends. I mean, one can, this, this, it's only now really that people start investing the productivity changes. Previously, it's, and up until now, it's, a lot of it's been health benefits of reducing sitting and improving standing. But the fundamentals really would say, and it's quite, quite uh, self-explanatory, is that you are better standing after meal times because that helps even out your blood sugar levels. Um, and avoid the pent-up of blood sugar late in the late afternoon where people get lethargic or tired as a result. Um, you're better standing when you're doing routine tasks uh, or on the phone. Um, you're better standing by going through inbox, going through setting up diary, you know, stuff that doesn't require a huge amount of uh, intensity. If you're having to go through spreadsheets or if you're having to recheck uh whether you've written that email to your boss asking for promotion very carefully, just to find, you know, then you're better sitting. So it's, it really depends on the intensity of the, the task you're doing and obviously the type of work. So, but the core message is mix it up. You should right. not do prolonged standing. You should not do prolonged sitting. It's the, uh, your next position is your best position. Right. So keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah. So if you're standing at your desk, should we, should we be standing still? Because actually standing is quite sedentary, isn't it? Correct. Standing. Static. Standing is not sedentary, it's static. So static, we, what, sorry, yeah. What we want to avoid is static sitting and static standing. Um, so the best thing to do is when you are standing is use an anti-fatigue mat if you can because, or, or something that involves in move, foot movement. There are various other iterations, wobble board or uh, whatever, but um, a or, or certainly very comfortable footwear. Um, because what you want to avoid is the static position. And, and if you're on a mat or something, you will you invite just by um, you know subconsciously you will move more, um, and that will activate key muscles in your ankles, which will then help blood circulation to avoid any any risk associated with being static. Because yeah, so, presumably you, you wanna you wanna avoid this kind of classic waiting for a bus standing where you've got you're standing on one leg your weights on one leg, you know, it yeah. can just a bad yeah. standing posture presumably is as bad as a bad sitting one. Well, it's not as bad, um, but you no know, sitting is is really bad for the back. Standing yet yeah, leaning on things yeah it's 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 it is not good, but it's certainly not le it's less bad than you know sitting in against the backrest. Um, sitting backwards with the back in the seat position, whereby you know over a prolonged period of time you do cause yourself very, very poor poor, poor posture and then back issues. But um, but you know we don't. I don't want to go into too much sort of nuances. But the fundamental thing is that you know any static any static positioning for the body is poor. Um, we are designed to move. We're designed designed to move throughout the day, um, um, and and <clears throat> um, that's what we have to think about. Okay. All right. So as part of this moving, if, if we're, we're moving at our, while, while we're standing, you did mention a couple of health advantages. And in fact, you, you, you spoke about blood sugar. Can you give a bit more details about how it might help with diabetes and blood sugar? 
Okay, so for blood sugar, for example, we recommend, I mean, the first hour after, of, after mealtime, you should be standing because it just takes help. I mean, I'm not, and by the way, my, I must confess, I am not medical. I have not got one medical qualification, so don't, please don't. No, nor am I. I'm a civil engineer. <laughs> I know, but I just don't want, so I have, I, um, what, 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 but basically what enables, <clears throat> I mean, and it's not just diabetes, it's everything, if I'm, if I'm say is that we, the, all our organs uh, require activation, okay? So, um, I know when, when uh, and just by, the strongest muscles, by the way, are in our, our posterior. Those posterior muscles, they pump things around the body we don't even know about. And, and that's what triggers various issues regarding re, you know, red, relevant medical conditions. But in terms of blood sugars, um, basically, <clears throat> The muscle group, when we're standing, which is the first gear of activity, okay? People don't think of standing as a physical part of physical activity, but you're already burning twice as many calories as when you're sitting. And if you're hovering or just moving out, you're again doubling again. So all these things means that the engine is ticking over and then allows the body to start to break down or do, certain, do, the, do its business, do its certain things. Um, so... What, what I can say is that when you are sitting and prolonged for prolonged periods, things like metabolism start to sort of dramatically, I mean, I won't say close down, but they go down by about 99% um, after around 90 minutes. So that's where things start to build up and problems start to build up. So it's, it's, uh, what, we, what we need to make sure is that we, we don't enter those prolonged periods of, of sitting, which is basically between 60 and 90 minutes. Okay. So... During that, you, you, you mentioned uh, you burn twice as many calories standing as sitting. What, what's that based on? Have you, have you got any, any papers yeah, that well, you can the, uh, quote or send us next on? Sorry, uh, James, um, James uh, Levine, Professor James Levine, um, um, presented at, at actually one of our, our summits, the metabolic expansion, the amount of calories you burn doing various activities. Um, so, uh, even things like chewing gum, chewing gum, you, you burn quite a lot of calories as well, but, but you know, it's, 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 you don't even think about it, your jaw just going up and down, but it's just all these micro activities we look at, which are incidental is what, is what, is what has been, uh, you know, calculated in terms of calorie burn and, and where we, what, what is our base point? And our base point is obviously sedentary behavior. Um, so from there, how much more calories can we burn? And that, that is all, um, you know, very, it's called the NEAT, um, non-exogenic uh, calorie um, transfer, I think. I'm not sure about that. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's worth looking up. James Levine and the NEAT um, um, program. And you'll see it, it, it analyzes what calories you burn doing what. Okay, that's, so that's a published paper, is it? I'll put a link to that yeah, on my blog. It's very well established, yeah. James has been from a Mayo Clinic in the US, um, and um, it's a, basically it's a mod, it's the, uh, the incidental uh, activities that you'll do, hoovering, chewing gum, you know, uh, um, uh, you know that sort of thing, standing uh, versus, uh, versus prolonged sitting, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, that that sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a, a look at that. So, if people are listening to this and thinking, "Hmm, this is sort of interesting. I'd like to find out more and possibly give it a go." Uh, where can people 
get uh, get a bit more info uh, on not only what standing using a sit-stand desk can do for them, but also some info about sit-stand desks. Okay, well, first of all, we recommend people go to the getbritainstanding.org website. There you can familiarize yourselves with all the risks associated with prolonged uh, and excessive sitting, and then understanding the research base behind that, um, which is quite you know, clearly defined. Um, and then also the best practices and simple things to do with regards to active work. Because it's not all about a desk. Well, whilst we love the desks, does do reduce sitting by a long period. There are other things we could do, like just going on walking meetings or having standing meetings or using stairs rather than lifts throughout the day. Yeah, walking to work. But, but in terms of desk, which, yeah, that's where you can really knock, you know, knock down your sitting quite substantially. Um, that there's details of all the various solutions on the Get Britain we uh, standing website and there's some, some companies which offer free trial uh, as well. Excellent. All right. I think this is kind of really interesting because I think we are on a cusp of a change of habit for many people. Um, and, you know, the habits of a lifetime as well, which, as you said, they can take a, a while to change. But I think people are starting to change. So it's an interesting time. It is interesting. I think, I think when I started this five years ago, Mike, a lot of people did laugh at the whole concept. In fact, some people were very worried about, you know, about me professionally or getting involved in something like this. Um, but it's, did they, did, did they think you needed laugh. some professional help of a different sort? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it is amazing how something so simple is so powerful. Um, you know, I'm a reasonably healthy individual. One thing I have noticed over the last five years is my bad uh, cholesterol level has reduced uh, to to very healthy level, and considering that's something that killed my father uh, in his mid fifties, and I'm well, I'm early fifties. You know, it's something I've always been aware of. So, um, yeah, I mean, cholesterol is a huge issue relating to sedentary behaviour, um, and um, you know, hence the heart disease uh, connection. So, um, yeah, I think I, that, I think the more people try it, the more people they realise, wow, it does actually make a difference. It's not some <laughs> fashionable fad. Um, there is something here and the more people learn to stand and read up and educate themselves about it, they're even more powerful. Um, yeah. All right. I think, I think it's a perfect place to finish. Just a nice place to leave it. So just suggest people to find out a bit more, more about it. So Gavin, thank you very much indeed uh, for chatting on the subject. You're very welcome, Mike. Thanks very much. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were dietitian, Helen Bond, and also Gavin Bradley of Active Working. And of course, thank you to you for listening. That was Mike Dilk of Relax Back UK. Thank you for listening and please join us again next time.